You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. The FBI's InfraGuard user data shows up for sale. An update on Iranian cyber operations. NSA warns of Chinese cyber threats. Challenges in sharing data for threat detection and prevention. Legitimately signed drivers are used in targeted attacks. Patch Tuesday addressed a whole lot of actively exploited issues. Tim Starks from the Washington Post Cybersecurity 202 shares his reporting on ICS vulnerabilities. Our guest is Mike Fay from Ireland with an introduction to the enterprise browser space. And the U.S. indicts five Russian nationals on sanctions evasion charges. CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. Krebs on Security has some unpleasant news that goes to the challenges of vetting people for access. The blog reports that someone using the hacker name USDOD and whose avatar is the U.S. Department of Defense SEAL, but who's obviously unconnected with the Pentagon, is offering an InfraGuard user database for sale in the criminal market breached. Now, InfraGuard describes itself as a partnership between the Federal Bureau of Investigation and members of the private sector for the protection of U.S. critical infrastructure. So any data it might hold is obviously of interest to crooks and the other miscellaneous goons who are all over cyberspace. According to Krebs on Security, the attacker gained access to InfraGuard by applying for membership under a bogus identity. The blog states, USDOD said they gained access to the FBI's InfraGuard system by applying for a new account using the name, social security number, date of birth, and other personal details of a chief executive officer at a company that was highly likely to be granted InfraGuard membership. The CEO in question, currently the head of a major U.S. financial corporation that has a direct impact on the credit worthiness of most Americans, told Krebs on Security they were never contacted by the FBI seeking to vet an InfraGuard application. Mr. USDOD says he's asking $50,000 for the data he's been able to pull. He hasn't got that yet, and he's not surprised, given that the info is pretty basic stuff. Still, it's a going-in position to start negotiations, and you never know. In any case, he's snagged some invitations to security conferences. 
One imagines he won't be stupid enough to show up and present his credentials to the FBI, but again, you never know. To the certain personal knowledge of our crime desk, malefactors often, in fact, do stupid things. A classic example is a guy wanted by the FBI for a variety of offenses, including facilitating gun trafficking, who was stupid enough to go on the Johnny Carson show back in the 70s with a snake-handling act. He'd evaded capture until then, but some of the feds were apparently fans of The Tonight Show because this particular act of carelessness earned the Cobra King a sabbatical in the Federal Correctional Complex in Allentown. They couldn't find him until shortly after they'd heard, Here's Johnny! Anyway, Krebs on Security elaborates on the details of the offering. USDOD said in their sales pitch that Pom Pom Porin, remember those guys, would guarantee the transaction via the escrow service they offer in the breached forum. So satisfaction guaranteed. Pom Pom Porin administrators the breached forum, a market that's widely regarded as the functional successor to raid forums, closed back in April by the U.S. feds. The incident suggests, obviously, inadequate vetting of applicants. The FBI says it's aware of the matter and that an investigation is ongoing. It's worth pointing out that if InfraGuard can fumble vetting, maybe the rest of us can too. Proofpoint this morning released research on what it calls aberrations in operations of the Iranian threat actor TA-453, a group whose activity overlaps that of Charming Kitten, Phosphorus, and APT-42. Proofpoint says, A hallmark of TA-453's email campaigns is that they almost always target academics, researchers, diplomats, dissidents, journalists, human rights workers, and use web beacons in the message bodies before eventually attempting to harvest targets' credentials. Such campaigns may kick off with weeks of benign conversations from actor-created accounts before attempted exploitation. Since 2020, however, TA-453 has selected victims from a wide range of sectors, and it's used compromised accounts, malware, and confrontational lures in pursuing them. Its new targets include medical researchers, realtors, and travel agencies. Proofpoint thinks with moderate confidence that this activity reflects a flexible mandate to the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps intelligence requirements. There's also a subcluster of the activity that seems to support covert IRGC operations, including, disturbingly, apparent attempts to lure targets into kidnapping traps. Sharper elbows all around. Yesterday, NSA released Citrix ADC threat hunting guidance that warns of activity by APT-5. The advisory doesn't explicitly attribute APT-5 to China, although it does link it to UNC-2630 and manganese. But as Reuters observes, APT-5 has long been strongly suspected of being a Chinese intelligence threat group. Mandiant is among those who've registered that suspicion. NSA's advisory offers guidance on file integrity and behavioral checks, as well as Yara rules useful for detection. A survey commissioned by Splunk has found that 63% of public sector organizations struggle with leveraging data to detect and prevent threats, compared to 49% of private sector entities. The survey concludes that these difficulties of analyzing data 
directly impact partnerships between the public and private sectors and their ability to share intelligence. Despite the disparity in leveraging data for security, the survey found that public and private sector organizations have very similar priorities for cybersecurity. The top three cybersecurity priorities for both sectors are improving threat response and remediation capabilities, improving detection of emerging threats, and improving user security awareness. Microsoft has taken steps to address the problem of legitimately signed Microsoft drivers being used in targeted attacks, stating, Microsoft was recently informed that drivers certified by Microsoft's Windows Hardware Developer Program were being used maliciously in post-exploitation activity. Microsoft has completed its investigation and determined that the activity was limited to the abuse of several developer program accounts and that no compromise has been identified. We've suspended the partner's seller accounts and implemented blocking detections to help protect customers from this threat. The issue was discovered and disclosed by Sentinel-1 and Mandiant, working in partnership with one another. The threat actors detected using the malicious drivers were doing so in an evident attempt to evade detection by security tools. And of course, in full disclosure, we note that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. Yesterday was Patch Tuesday, and there was more going on than we can conveniently describe here. We will say, however, that apart from that malicious driver issue, a number of vendors fixed issues that are undergoing active exploitation in the wild. You'll find a full set of references in today's CyberWire Daily News Briefing, available on our website, thecyberwire.com. The U.S. Department of Justice announced yesterday that five Russian nationals have been indicted in connection with violations of sanctions and export controls. They're charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States as to the enforcement of export controls and economic sanctions, conspiracy to violate the Export Control Reform Act, smuggling, and failure to comply with the automated export system relating to the transportation of electronics. The indictments are the result of work by Task Force Klepto Capture, an interagency group formed specifically to enforce sanctions and go after the corrupt oligarchs who are so often responsible for their violation. Four of those indicted remain at large, but one, whom justice calls a suspected officer with Russia's Federal Security Service, the FSB, was arrested in Estonia last week and is awaiting extradition to the U.S. And hey, you didn't even have to go on The Tonight Show. Coming up after the break, Tim Starks from the Washington Post Cybersecurity 202 shares reporting on ICS vulnerabilities. Our guest is Mike Fay from Ireland with an introduction to the enterprise browser space. Stick around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, 
so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The Humble Web Browser has come a long way since its original development in 1990 by British computer scientist Tim Berners-Lee. Today, web browsers are essential tools for accessing the Internet and are found on almost all computers and mobile devices. And in our day-to-day work lives, a whole lot of information passes through them. That reality has led to the development and deployment of enterprise browsers, customized versions with enhanced security and control mechanisms. Michael Fay is co-founder and CEO at enterprise browser provider Island, and I checked in with him for some insights. Well, I think we can all appreciate that the browser has become the most widely deployed application on the planet. There's 5 billion consumers that use it, but it's also the most widely deployed application in our enterprises, in our companies, our organizations, our governments. And the reality is, It is finely tuned and governed by the needs of the consumer, as it should be. But when we bring that into the enterprise, we have a different set of requirements and desires for it. And to date, we've treated it almost like a caged animal, backhauling its traffic, breaking its encryption, putting DLP or data prevention controls all around it, serving it up on virtual infrastructure all in the name of trying to make this application safe, secure, easy to manage, and productive. The enterprise browser stands to deliver a unique version of that, specifically targeted to provide a productive and safe and great user experience for our organizations and employees. What are some of the the, uh, the concerns that folks have when you talk to them about adopting something like this? You know, right away, it's, is this going to feel different or do I have to learn something new? My user population in many cases is is very, you know, large and, and I don't want to have to undergo that training. And so that's one of the things people get really comfortable with quickly is this feels and acts like the browser you know and love. It installs on your desktop just like every browser you've ever used. It's a little bit faster, but it provides all these wonderful connection points back into the enterprise to make our lives easier. And so that's one of the things we have to get through is, will my end users be negatively impacted? And the answer is no. 
they'll actually get a wildly more productive and viable experience than they have to deal with today in most companies. What about uh, the security side of things? I, I imagine, of course, you probably have the ability to dial things in very specifically, but does it work with you know third-party offerings as well? Yeah. So at the end of the day, think of it as just a browser that's contributing to the outcome. If you want to use some other control that you have in place today, you still can. Now, granted, it does provide a lot of security controls better than things that are sitting on the outside because it's natively a part of the application. We don't have to do things like break its encryption just to govern what website it goes to. We don't have to force a whole networking path just to make sure that a particular device is configured correctly before it goes to one of our SaaS applications. But in a large enterprise that has, you know, countless number of tools, capabilities, and, and dependencies, we can fit very nicely into those, but we can also start to re- simplify those stacks and, and remove a lot of repetitive and expensive controls. What about for folks who are under regulatory regimes, you know, who have to dot their I's and cross their T's when it comes to that? Is there, are there enhanced capabilities for them? There most definitely is. We can literally govern anything that occurs in the browser. So take uh, screenshots, for example. We have a lot of healthcare organizations struggling with protecting patient data, but engaging in contract doctors. We can provide the bridge that allows them to be open to those doctors that need to be involved, but protect that crucial data. We can mask the data the doctor doesn't need to see, like your social security number, maybe you know additional fields that aren't relevant to the problem at hand but then share with them the data in a way that it can't be accidentally stolen or misused. So most definitely in those highly regulated, highly secured areas, they're finding a lot of value from the enterprise browser space. That's Michael Fay from Island. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the CyberWire, Tim Starks. He is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Tim, welcome back. Always good to be here. So this morning, uh, you and your colleagues published an interesting report uh, titled Severe Vulnerabilities Found in Most Industrial Controllers. Uh, You got my attention here, Tim. What's going on? (laughs) I'm glad. You know, we talked a little bit. The headline was not what I wrote, and the editor changed it to that. And I was like, are people going to know what industrial controllers are? Mm. But, you know, I was comfortable with what she did. So, yeah, industrial controllers are uh, hard to describe. Um, and that's why I was, wasn't sure where she put them in the headline. The idea is that, that it's a little bit like it sounds, right? It's, um, it's a thing that controls industrial processes. Mm. Uh, it's, there's the kind of device that keeps, uh, you know, electricity plants or water treatment plants safe and operational. And uh, Microsoft took a look at the uh, systems of its customers and discovered that 75% of them had high severity, uh, unpatched vulnerabilities. So that's not great. How do we interpret that? I mean, I, I, you see a number like this, and, and for me, I think, and yet the lights are on, the water is flowing, um, is this a is this a ticking time bomb situation? Is this a you know a breathless headline that we need to get, put some perspective on? What, what's your take? I think it's a little bit of both, somewhere in between there, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way it, you know the way I react to it is that 
attacking these kinds of controllers would be very, very bad for us, uh, for the people in the countries where they lived. I mean, we, we saw, uh, this goes back to the Stuxnet worm, of course, like that, 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 that demonstrates the power of these kind of attacks on these kinds of specific targets where, you know, Stuxnet was able to take down a bunch of, uh, you know, nuclear facilities in, in Iran. And, uh, we've seen attacks on this kind of thing, knock down power in Ukraine, uh, we saw the threat of it happening in the United States when the Oldsmar, Florida plant, uh, where, where the water treatment facility, uh, someone was able to get in and briefly elevate the levels of lye to very high levels uh, before someone at the plant caught it and kept it from really happening. But, you know, these are also the kind of attacks that if, if somebody did it, there would be a lot of hell to pay uh, in the United States. You know, so I think that I think that it's a it's an option for our adversaries, but it's the kind of thing that if you're going to do it, if you're in Russia or you're somewhere, you know, somewhere in, in, in any country, uh, you have to know that, that the United States is going to be very upset that you did it. And they're going to, there's going to be a reaction. You've seen it with some of the ransomware gangs when they, you know, uh, attack Colonial Pipeline and, and JBS. Suddenly we put a lot of attention on them. Uh, and it didn't go terribly well for them. You know, some, in some ways they've reformed. But it's something that's scary. But if it if it happened, and it's not likely to happen, there would be a big, big repercussion. Yeah, in your article, you, you uh, spoke with Bryson Bort from uh, security company Scythe, uh, and, and his his comments were interesting. You, you want to share his insights? <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he whenever he talks about he said whenever he talks about industrial control systems, uh, he starts off by defining them. Is what's an industrial control system? And the answer is it's any computer that's twenty years old or older. Uh, <laughs> And that's that's a defining trait of these uh, of these industrial control systems and and controllers. For what it's worth, the controllers are the devices, and then there are systems of them that that. So, so I'm using the term a little bit interchangeably. Mm. But what I'm getting at is, uh, you know, these devices are extremely old for the most part, uh, or systems are extremely old. That makes them hard to update. It makes them hard. It makes it hard for them to run, you know, modern operating systems, and. It makes them, it, they're hard to rip and replace. They're very, they're systems that are very, very focused on just keeping things running and keeping things going pretty well. And, um, they were not built with security in mind. So they're not secure by design, as they say. The other thing he told me is that, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of good work going on over at, uh, a Department of Energy office that, that people call Caesar on cyber, on, on securing these systems. Otherwise, a lot of the work that's going on and securing them is, uh, it's very, it's very part of other things. So, you know, you see CISA, uh, you know, the DHS office invite people to, uh, the joint collaborative environment. And, and I guess the JCDC is not the joint collaborative environment, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The, the uh, inviting people to attend that from the industrial control systems world. But, but there aren't a whole lot of de- dedicated initiatives right now to solving the industrial control systems security problem. Hmm. Interesting. One other thing I wanted to, uh, to highlight, uh, an article that you linked to in the Cyber 202, uh, this is a, a bipartisan push by a couple of uh, lawmakers who are trying to uh, improve the cyber literacy of their colleagues. Yeah, that is something that I think, uh, you know, they they point out as, as needing to happen. This is a um, congresswoman, Kathy McMorris-Rogers. She's probably going to end up being the Energy and Commerce Committee chairwoman. Hmm. 
Uh, and and Jim, Congressman Jim Himes, who's a prominent member of the House Intelligence Committee that I talk to from time to time uh, on cyber issues, essentially saying that 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 there need to be more uh, more education, more hearings. And, and I think I think you know if you go back to many many years ago uh, with with Senator Ted Stevens famously referring to the internet as a series of tubes, <laughs> uh, you you can see that the history of of people needing to get up to speed on this is real. One thing I've noticed, though, uh, I think we talked about this last time we were chatting. You have Congress members like uh, Jim Langevin leaving, uh, who's been a big, big voice on on cybersecurity on the Hill. You have members like John Katko leaving, who's been a prominent voice on cybersecurity on the Hill. It's concerning to lose that expertise, but w- one of the things that's uh, that's po- that's positive is that the older Congress, you know, the, the the further along Congress gets, the younger the members get. And that means they're more in tune with the internet and what it means, and they grew up with it more. Uh, that's a potentially a very positive development that, that I think the problem solves itself a little bit that way. Mm. But at the same time, it also requires people focusing on this. And one of the things that's always been interesting about covering the national security community is what, what do members of Congress get out of specializing in these things? When you're on the House Intelligence Committee, maybe you have a satellite contractor in your district that, that, you know, you can produce jobs and show jobs. Like I was on the House Intelligence Committee, I helped to get mm. this contract. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to explain to your voters. Yeah, I'm spending a lot of time on cybersecurity because it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that doesn't sell for, for a lot of the lawmakers. Interestingly enough, uh, there was a congressman who is no longer around who said that this was the number one or number two issue for, uh, for his constituents. Uh, so I think it might be a matter of, of, of a disconnect between the lawmakers and what, what they think their constituents want to talk about. And that might be why we haven't seen much focus on it. But I do think the more they, the more they pay attention, you know, if, if this kind of initiative that, that Himes and uh, Morris Rogers are talking about takes off, that, that's, a, that's also a positive element. Yeah. Well, it's reassuring to see that there's a, some self-awareness here, that it's an area yeah. in, in which they need to focus. Uh, Tim Starks is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, 
Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire.